0: Morning, but thank you to the choir. Uh, This morning, this Sunday morning, is the first Sunday of Advent, and so we are going to spend this Sunday and the next three weeks in Advent um, talking about what Advent is. We're taking a break from our series in Ephesians. The title of this series is called Advent Longing for Jesus. Now, Advent has been celebrated in the church at least since the Middle Ages comes from a Latin word that means coming. Speaking of the coming of Jesus, and it's a time of expectation. And it's a time when Christians throughout the centuries have traditionally looked in two directions. We've looked back as we celebrate the coming of Jesus when He came to earth first in His incarnation. Jesus coming to visit us, God Himself in the flesh. The coming of Jesus. And it's also a time... Christians, as we've looked back to that, we've looked ahead to the promise of Scripture that Jesus is coming back, that he has come and, come and he's coming back. And it's a time of expectation, of waiting, of longing. And the thing about Advent is it slows us down. And that runs a little counter to the way most of us live our lives most of the time. And especially the way uh, our world lives the month of December. It's busy, it's hurried. We have shopping to do. We have exams to finish. Um, Our lives are crazy. Well, Advent invites us to slow down. Do you ever feel the Christmas season just sort of flies by so fast you, you you didn't see it coming or disappearing? I remember when I was in school... All you're thinking about is exams and getting ready for those, and then you go home and you have like three days till Christmas. Advent for you is three days long, and then suddenly it's it's gone. I thought, you know, one day when I get out of school and I get off an academic schedule, then it's going to be much easier to be reflective in the month of December. It's not. I'm sorry. I wish it were. Uh, It was just Thanksgiving. Now we're looking ahead to Christmas. December 27th, we're already going to be looking ahead to New Year's. Uh, And before you know it, it's going to be February and cold and rainy, and we're all going to be depressed, right? (laughs) Life blazes by us, and most often the season of Advent blazes by us as well, but it invites us to slow down, to consider what we're waiting for. Um, In our family, we have an an Advent calendar that's up on our wall in our kitchen, and uh, for each day of Advent, there's a character in the nativity scene that gets, gets moved up into its place, and uh, December 1st, two days ago, was uh, the manger, and yesterday was the baby cow, and today, as Caroline said, was the daddy cow, <laughs> and this is the first time in my family that we've done an Advent calendar, and it's just been a visual reminder to me of, of seeing this time progress slowly. We've got it visually on our wall there the days leading up to Christmas, as we remember Jesus coming the first time, as we look ahead to Him coming back. This is an invitation for us um, to take this time slowly. And as we do this on Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at um, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. This morning we're going to be in the first chapter of of Luke, so I invite you to turn there. This is on page 855 of uh, your pew Bibles. As we get ready to turn to this scripture, let's let's turn to our Lord and ask him to meet us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do uh, come before you now in your word and ask that you would speak to us. We are a people who are very rushed and hurried. We run away from silence, we run away from quiet because we're scared of what might stir up in our hearts. We pray that you would speak to us this Advent season, and we pray that even this morning that you would open up your word to us, that you might change us, that we might see you. And We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be reading starting in, in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Luke. We're going to go up through verse 25, and then we're going to skip over to verse 57. Luke 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he and his wife had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And as they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were advanced in years. and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days in which he looked on me, to take away my reproach among the people. And then picking up in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Talk about how um, Advent is a time of expectation and waiting. This morning we're going to simply see this from this text, that Advent reminds us that God keeps His promises. Advent reminds us that God keeps His promise. And we're going to see this morning in this text, God keeping His promise two ways, in a surprising birth and in an inspired prayer. Okay, God keeps His promise, a surprising birth and an inspired prayer. First, God keeps His promise in a surprising birth. Uh, We've got the story before us. Of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and their barrenness, their longing for a son, it tells us they were advanced in years. Even when the angel comes and visits Zechariah, he said, "How is this going to be? I'm old and my wife's old too." And uh, the thing about this story, though, is that, that there's a there's a strange paradox being set up for us, because on the one hand, look at the way um, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are described in those first few verses. Uh, it says that he was a priest and that his wife was a daughter of Aaron. She comes from the priestly line as well. Verse 6, remarkable. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. What's it saying? They were exemplary, exemplary followers of God. They were faithful. They came from the priestly line. These were people that would've, people would have looked at and thought, these are this is the kind of person that God wants us to be. But here's the thing, they didn't have any children. And in their culture and we there's examples of this throughout the Old Testament when somebody doesn't have a child, most often people looked at that and thought they must have done something. What have they done? God's disfavor rests on them because children are a blessing and it's a way in which your family line is continued. So when somebody didn't in the ancient world didn't have children, they looked at that as these people must be Cursed by God. So there's this great paradox. These people who are held up as being these exemplary followers of God and they have no children. And for them, they were stuck and they were waiting. This barrenness of theirs. Think about some of the stories in the Old Testament. Isaac being born to Sarah and Abraham in in their old age. Um... In the book of Judges, Samson was born to this man Manoah and his wife uh, in their old age as well, that they were barren until God's promise comes and meets them and God gives them a child. The prophet Samuel was born to Hannah, who for years and years was barren, crying out to the Lord. And I think it must be apparent for us that Zechariah and Elizabeth must have been people who knew what it meant To long for God to answer their prayers. Into their old age. God, why have we been denied this gift? Okay, so we've got them longing. And then we've got Zechariah in Jerusalem performing his priestly duties. Now, at that time, there were approximately, apparently, about 18,000 priests that served in the temple. And they'd come in twice a year for their term of service. And they would cast lots. They'd roll the dice, basically, to see which... Person was going to do which job, and so Zechariah, the lots fall to him to go outside the innermost part of the temple to offer uh, the incense, and this was offered twice a day. Okay, eighteen thousand people doing this, um, you know, people casting lots for Zechariah as a priest. This would have, but this was a once in a lifetime thing. For him, this was the height of. His ministry as a priest, the privilege of being the one to go and offer this incense. He's here at this critical moment. Outside, what does it say? People are around the temple praying, and there's Zechariah inside, and he sees what he didn't expect to see. An angel appears to him and gives him the news that his prayers have been answered and that they're going to have a son a special son, one who has the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, uh, who's going to be given a special ministry. Look in verses 16 and 17. The angel says that he's going to turn many in Israel to the Lord their God, that he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is qu- he's, he's now quoting Malachi 4, 5, and 6 who go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers back to their children, the disobedient back to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. It's interesting that he when he talks about John the Baptist, he he tells Zechariah that he's going to fulfill this role, and he quotes this verse from the end of Malachi. Okay, In our English arrangement of the Bible, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It's not that way in the, in the Jewish scriptures, but... He is also the last of the prophets. And he ends his letter with this promise of a prophet of Elijah coming back, declaring the day of the Lord. Now imagine Zechariah, someone who's accustomed to waiting, to longing, to waiting on the Lord. And here an angel appears to him and says, your son is going to be the person to do this. Now, just to put this in a little bit of perspective, Ze- uh, Malachi lived somewhere between, and in, in his ministry was sometime between the years 475 and 450 B.C. Okay, so 450 years, more like 400, 450 years have passed since the end of Malachi's ministry, since he wrote these words. And every day in that time, twice a day, incense has been offered. In 450 years, twice a day, incense being offered, 365 days a year, hundreds of thousands of times, priests have gone in there and offered incense, waiting for the Lord to return, waiting for this day of the Lord. And Zechariah, 450 years later, is the man standing there when God sends his angel to say, it's happening now. God's saying, at this moment now, I'm going to begin to fulfill my promises. It goes on in verses 57 through 66. You've got neighbors rejoicing with them when when, uh, the son is finally born. They ask, what's the child to be named on the eighth day when he's going to be circumcised? And they expect them to say something like Zechariah, a family name. And instead she says, John, the name that the angel said that he was to be named. And they turn to the father Zechariah. And say, is that right? And he pulls out his tablet. And as he's writing, his name is John. Suddenly, his tongue is loosened and he's able to speak. And there's something comforting about Zechariah in this. This righteous man, doubting what the angel said to him. angel comes and says, you're going to have a son. And he says, how is this going to be? We're old. And the angel says, it's going to happen. I stand in the presence of God and you are going to be silent until these things take place. That this faithful man, struggling to be faithful, struggling to trust. Look at the way God uses that time of struggle for him. He comes out of the temple struck, dumb, he can't speak. And it just heightens the amazement of the people. He has had a vision. Something has happened. And then imagine him for the next nine months as he can't speak. doesn't talk for nine months. What would it be like not to be able to talk to the people around you? For nine months, nine months of silence. And what happens to Zechariah? His name is John. He's writing it out, and his tongue is freed to speak again. And what does he speak after those nine months of silence and those nine months of thinking? Well, he takes us right into the second half of this God's promise, praised in an inspired prayer. He opens his mouth and he blesses God. He opens his mouth, and he responds in prayer. So we're going to look at Zechariah's prayer of prophecy here, verses 67 through 79. We're going to see three things about it, God's promise in this. We're going to see the heart of the promise, the purpose of the promise, and the person of the promise. The heart of the promise, the purpose of the promise, and the person of the promise. First, the heart of the promise. We follow a God who makes promises to his people. Look at verses 72 and 73. That he came to show the mercy promise to our fathers to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. What's he reminding us of? That God doesn't simply do things randomly for his people. He's not not the God of acts of random kindness. As good as that maybe sounds on, on a bumper sticker. What does God do? He promises to care for his people. He makes what's called a covenant with them. He binds himself with an oath to his people. I'm never going to leave you. I am never going to abandon you. I'm never going to let you ultimately go your own way. And what does Zechariah do? He reminds us of that, that God is a God who has spoken promises, that he's promised all the way back to Abraham that he's going to, visit Abraham and his family and use them to be a blessing to the entire world. Zechariah reminds us that he's a God who makes promises. And the heart of that promise is God's own is God's own presence. What is God promising them? Himself. I will be your God. You will be my people. He's promising them his own presence. And he goes on in this promise to talk about the things that they need. He mentions several things. Verse 68 Blessed be the God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. What does that mean? Redeemed. It's a word of slavery, of being bought back out of slavery. What does He say? Our God has come and set us free from all the things that entangle us, all the things that enslave us. He goes on to talk about deliverance from our enemies, verse 71 and verse 74, that we should be saved from our enemies. Verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. What's he saying? We are a people who are beaten and oppressed in so many ways, by so many things. And this God of promise says, I'm going to ultimately and fully and finally rescue you from all of your enemies. He talks about forgiveness of our sins. Look at verse 77. Verse 77. Talks about John being a prophet to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And it comes down to the heart of the issue for Zechariah and for John and for the people that they're ministering to and to us, that there is a relational break that runs across every aspect of our lives, that something's been shattered. That if we're really made to be in the presence of God, if we're really made to know Him, something's gone drastically wrong. There were a people who have turned away from Him. Bible's word for that is there were people stuck in sin. And what does he say? The promise of God is that, that He is going to come and give us what we most need, the forgiveness of our sins. At the heart of God's promise to give Himself is a relationship made right. A relationship that's healed. A relationship that has the power to deal with what really brings rupture and fracture in our lives. Then he gives this great image of what that looks like. Look in verse 78 and 79. A picture of this promise being fulfilled. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. The sunrise visiting us from on high to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Who of us have not felt at times like we were sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death? Lost, broken, and alone. And what does God say? I'm not going to leave you there that the sun is going to rise on you, that I'm going to meet you in the middle of that very darkness. This morning as we're having breakfast, um, my daughter looked out the window and said, Daddy, it's orange. And I looked out and there is this dark clouds that were hovering over us this morning and are still here. But but right, right between the trees and the and the dark clouds, you could see the sun coming up. You could see the light breaking through. It's exactly what what Zechariah is talking about. That in the middle of the darkness and brokenness of our lives, the light really does shine forth. And he says, Zechariah says, all of that is beginning now. God's fulfilling his promise now. The day is breaking now. The purpose of the promise. Look at verses 74 and 75. Why does God make these promises to us? Why does he rescue us? Why does he bring us back Verses 74 and 75 tell us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. What's he saying? That we might be enabled to be the people God created us to be in relationship with him, serving him without fear. Can you you imagine that? That fear would actually be banished from our lives that we, people who sit in darkness, would actually be taken out of that darkness and into the light so that there is nothing in God that we have to be afraid of. That his forgiveness would really reach that deeply down into our lives. That 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 light of his salvation would really penetrate down to the basement, down to the darkest corners, that we would really have that kind of healing and acceptance and forgiveness that we'd be able to stand before God without fear. That we would be freed from this slavery, this oppression that brings death, and brought into a life-giving service to God. That our redemption, that our rescue would really reach uh, that far and that deep. He says the purpose of this promise, the purpose of God binding himself to his people, that we'd be a people free to know and enjoy and serve and love him. But he tells us something more in this prayer. He talks about the person of the promise. Verse 76a, Zechariah, the first part of 76, Zechariah says, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will be, go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of his sins. What's he saying? That this young boy, John, eight days old, miraculous birth, what does he say? You're going to be a herald. You're going to be one who goes before the Lord. You're going to be a prophet. Now, the last prophet we saw was uh, 450 years before this. And he comes to Zechariah and he says, Your son is going to go before the Lord to proclaim his coming. The person of the promise here in this part of the prayer is John. But he points us beyond John to another person of the promise. You'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways He's already bringing into view Jesus. We're going to see next week, we're going to talk about the announcement of Jesus' birth. But already, what do we see? John, you're being prepared to go before Jesus to announce His coming. And that's exactly what John ends up doing. Later on in the book of Luke, over in chapter 3, verse 15, we see John doing exactly this, pointing to Jesus, pointing to the Messiah, the Christ. Here's what Luke 3, 15, 17 says. As the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, the Savior. And John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into the barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." What's he saying? This dramatic picture of, I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm pointing to the one who's coming. And the next thing that happens in the book of Luke is that Jesus shows up on the scene and John baptizes him and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. We see God's promises to save his people being inaugurated with John, but we're going to see that they're fulfilled in Jesus. And this time of Advent is a time when we stop and look back to these promises of the coming of our Messiah these promises of God being fulfilled for us and looking ahead, knowing that he's coming back. Now let me just ask you a few questions to end with. What is it that you're longing for? What advent are you looking for? What coming, what appearing are you looking for? What is it that you're looking for? What is it that you're banking on during this advent season? What is it you think you need most? For exams to go smoothly, to get the recognition that you feel that you deserve, to get the right things to make your life work, the right present, the right clothes, newest cell phone, the video iPod. Uh, For your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your mother, your father, your friend, To finally show you the love you so desperately deserve and need. What are you waiting for? What is your heart longing for? What are you banking on? Our hearts long for so many things. What's it longing for this Advent season? Let me just ask you this question. Is it possible that at its core, um, your deepest longings are really spiritual? that they run deeper than the things you keep pointing to. Maybe you haven't yet scratched this itch you have because you've been scratching in the wrong place. Maybe you're longing for this thing, this experience, this accomplishment, this rel- a relationship when you most need the presence of God in your life. Experience for the first time, or maybe rediscovered. Is it possible that your struggle is not that the world is letting you down, that you aren't as successful as you wish you were, that you're not as recognized as you wish you were? Your problem is not that the people around you fail you. Maybe our deepest problem is um, our own sin, our own self-centeredness, our own rebellion, our own hardness of heart, and maybe that is the scar that really runs across our life. Now, if that's the case, then maybe we're going to be open this Advent season to see and to wait for and to long for most what we most need—the coming of our Savior. And Advent invites us to slow down, to wait, to long, to find the Jesus who was promised and who came, same Jesus who is promised to return again. We follow a God who makes promises to His people and comes through on those promises for his people. So let me just leave us with this suggestion. That this Advent season that we would do this, instead of filling our lives with noise and hurry, that we would take some time to be quiet and actually lean into our longing for the presence of God in our life instead of running away from it. Now one way you might do that, and one way I might do that, is to actually be quiet every day and maybe pray every day. And maybe take home the Advent readings in our order of worship and read them this Advent season that we might long rightly for the right things and find ourselves met in the midst of our longing by a God who keeps his promises. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we, um, we need your strength and your spirit to have hope to long for the right things, to trust that you would show up and meet us. So I pray that you would do that for me and for all of us, even this Advent season as we take this time to pause again and remember again that you're God who keeps his promises, that you promised us deliverance and freedom and life in Jesus. May we find that life in him. We pray that you would meet us and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Part of our worship this morning is that we get to together...